in the ninth psalm it says this the lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble and those who know your name will put their trust in you for you lord have not forsaken those who seek you sometimes we say things from the from the pulpit up here and it's kind of church talk or kind of cliche but one thing we really believe is when you're here on a Sunday morning, you're here for a purpose, that God has brought you here for a reason. So no matter what you're facing as you came through the doors here, know that Christ is the answer. And we are here today to worship him, and it's a privilege to be in his presence. But we want to welcome you here today to the service. If you're visiting with us today, before you leave, we would encourage you to please stop by our guest table located in the vestibule or the front lobby. Uh, we have a gift for you. We'd love to put that in your hands and, and find out who you are and how we could serve you better. Just a couple of announcements, though, before we uh, have our official greeting time. Uh, we will have a very brief meeting immediately after the service right down front with all of our ushers, greeters, and security team members. It'll be like a five-minute meeting. So if you guys, before you rush out the doors, please come down here have a brief meeting for you. And then also on March 22nd, we are having Class 101. Some of you uh, may have been visiting for a while. Um, some of you may have just visited today. But if you'd like to know more about the church, maybe how to join the church, what we believe, what we're about, March 22nd will be that class. And right after the service, I will be available in the vestibule and have a sign-up sheet. We would uh, love to answer any questions that you may have, but please stop by there, or you can fill out the care card in the bulletin. Uh, but right now, we're going to ask everyone, turn to your neighbor, smile at them at least, because they need it, and you need it, and welcome them to the service.
thank you. As you know, this is a time that we set aside in the service to pray. And kind of our, sometimes we have a prayer focus and sometimes we don't. But for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage and the family. So during this prayer time, this doesn't mean there's anything wrong in your family. Everything may be great. You may just want to thank God for your family. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. Pray for your kids. But as uh, Sharon in the choir leads us in this song, let's just meet around this altar and let's lift up our families to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lay down your this morning father we come just as we are and father we're so grateful to have you lord we come to find our rest in you our peace in you our strength in you and father we want to thank you that you live within us and father without you we're nothing but lord through you we can do all things you're our strength our hope for today and Father, we want to tell you that we love you. And Father, we want to worship you. We want to praise you. We want you to be honored in the life that we live. And Father, we pray this morning that you'd bless this time of worship. Lord, may you have the preeminence through the power of your spirit. And Father, may your will be done and accomplished here this morning. That we might honor you and glorify you. The altogether lovely one. The one who's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And Father, we want to tell you this morning, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for giving us hope every day. And Father, this morning, we pray for the needs upon this altar. Lord, that you'd answer them according to your will, according to your purpose and your plan. And Father, we pray, Father, as we give in just a few moments, Lord, may it be an act of worship of the heart. And Father, may we give, Lord, freely and willfully that your kingdom's work might go forward. And Father, we love you this morning because you first loved us. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Lay down your
Thank you. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And as you're finding your place there, um, I just want to mention to all our deacons that are serving now, we need to have a really quick meeting uh, after the service in the conference room in the Jennings building. It's, it's about uh, signing documents, and we have to have something on paper before we go to the bank tomorrow. So if you will, please be there uh, as soon as the service is over. And if I forget, somebody come get me, all right? <laughs> the Song of Solomon, think about this. When a man loves a woman... What attracted you to your spouse? What attracted you to your spouse? What attracts you to your spouse right now? In Song of Solomon chapter 1 and parts of chapter 2, you see Solomon as a young man. This is before Solomon got really weird, all right? And the Shulamite woman. They say he had over 700 wives, so he should be an expert on marriage or maybe not, all right? But they do think that this was his first wife and the one that he loved the most. And the interaction between these two through eight chapters is just amazing. And the, today, this morning, we're going to learn that what attracted them. And it should be something that attracts you to any spouse if you, if you place Christ first in your life. Now notice, we're just going to read through verse 7, but we end up looking at all these verses. Notice, Solomon's love for a Shulamite girl is what mine says. The song of songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine, because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore the virgins love you, draw me away. Then the daughters of Jerusalem say, we will run after you. The Shulamite says, the king has brought me into his chambers. The daughters of Jerusalem say, we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Then the Shulamite says this, rightly do they love you. Now notice what she says about herself. This is very important. I am dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I'm dark. She has kind of low self-esteem. But in, in, in so the chapter 2, she says, I'm a lily of the valley. Okay. So what Solomon has done with his words is he's taken this woman who has such low self-esteem, and he basically says, she says about herself, to you, I'm one among a million. I mean, it's just amazing. Notice what else she says. Because the sun has tanned me, my mother's sons are, were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O oh, whom I love, where you feed your flock. Very important. Notice that. Now notice this right here. Tell me, O oh, whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. She's trying to cross paths with him. This is very good if you're dating. This is very good if you're married to spend time with your spouse. Very important verse. Then, he, then she says this, For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we pray for every marriage here. Lord, that you would bless it, that they would prosper. Lord, in every area, these areas that we're talking about this morning, Lord, we're all, Lord, we're just sinners saved by grace living in a house with somebody else. Lord, just help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, Intervene in marriages, Father. We all go through seasons in our marriage. We all go through seasons as people. But Lord, I pray that we would not give up yet. <laughs> Father, I pray that we would learn today that these three things are so attractive. And they have nothing to do with looks. And these three things will be attractive when, if you allow us to live to be 80. These three things will be attractive when we're in the grave and our spouse is looking at us or vice versa. Father, I pray that we would look to these things this morning and be these things for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's children said together, amen. The first thing, the first thing that should attract us to another person is their spiritual makeup. One, one man put it this way, physical beauty is important in a marriage, but not as important as spiritual beauty. The Shulamite looks at Solomon and says, you're basically... A beautiful person. And he says the same thing about her. I see the beauty in who you are. They never talk about what they look like here. They never talk about looks here. The Shulamite talks about herself. But first and foremost, they're talking about looks. Notice what the Bible says. It'll be on the screen, verses 2 and 3. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Notice she's speaking. Literally nearly twice as many verses are from her lips than from his. Kind of like a normal marriage, isn't it? You know, the average person... We all speak about 700 times a day. But think about this. Women speak in those 700 times to 20,000 words per day. And men speak about 7,000 words. 
Because men can say yes and no, right? We can say that. We don't have to say yes and then elaborate on it, do we? We don't have to say no and elaborate on it. We can just say yes and no, all right? But notice, she's speaking. Think about this. Many of our greatest memories are built around words said to us. Notice what she says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She loves kissing this man, her husband. Think about it. Did you realize it's healthy to kiss your spouse? Very healthy. It, doctors will tell you it reduces stress. There's a metabolic boost. Now think about this. Swapping saliva with your spouse helps keep the mouth and teeth and gums healthy. All right? Think about that. It gives you increased immunity. Exposure to the germs that inhibit your partner's mouth strengthens your immune system. Get healthy, people. Kiss, kiss, kiss. See, she's looking at him for intimacy with him. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now notice she says this, for your love is better than wine. Okay? The last time I had wine touch my lips was at a Lutheran funeral. All right? And I did communion. And I remember when I dipped the wafer in the wine, I tasted it and I thought my mind went back to my pre-Christ days. And I thought, that, that don't taste like wine. That tastes like Boone's Farm. All right? But anyway, I was like, that is wine. Should I drive? Should I drive home after this? Will I get arrested? You know, but anyway, what she's saying is this. Your love is smooth, and it relaxes me. Your love is smoother than wine. That's what that means. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments. Look at that. She says, you smell good. And in those days, that was very important. They didn't have what we have today. They didn't have showers around every corner. Okay? She says, you smell good. Notice, the fragrance of your good ointments. Listen to what one scholar says. It was customary in these times to rub the body with fragrant ointments, which were oils. After a bath in preparation for festivities, this brings up an important point in not only dating, but in marriage also. Notice how Solomon is presenting himself to this woman every day. Listen to me, ladies. If you date someone and they stink now, it will not get better. Men, bathe, use body wash, wear deodorant, bathe every day. Listen, to, guys, if you go to the movies and you try to put your arm around her and she sprays your armpit with Lysol, it's time to change. Solomon made sure he was at his best. Think about this. Think about this. In other, in other chapters, she talks about how he dresses. This is a normal day. This is normal. I remember when I was a youth pastor, a guy came to me. I was at the, uh, I think it was a varsity basketball game. And I said, I heard your daughter's dating. Good girl. Good girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, who's she dating? She said, well, here he comes now. Here comes this dude walking down there in front of the whole team. Wrinkled shirt. Had bed head. It was 7 p.m. And I said, looked at him and said, does he take a bath? <laughs> I mean, look at how he's dressed here walking around. It's 7 p.m. And you're at a ball game. Listen, guys, never, ever, ever wear pajama pants to Walmart. Ever, ever, I'll take a picture of you and come visit you in your home. He presented himself well. Because, listen, everywhere you go, men, you, don't, you, you not only represent the Lord, you represent your spouse. Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Okay? He presented himself in a dignified manner. Notice what else she says. Your name is ointment poured forth, therefore the virgins love you. Your name, that dictates his character. Think about this, ladies. The word character comes from the word croso. It means something, a metal tool is used to etch something, meaning character is something in your life that will not fade away because it's being etched in you. Another version says this. She's saying, Solomon, your name is like purified oil. Purified oil is the most pressing, is the first pressing oil from the olive trees, the best oil. It was the extra virgin olive oil, the purest of the pure, the first pressing went for the temple only, and the lamps would use this oil to burn day and night and sacrifice to God. She is attracted to his character. The point is this. Your name is more important than your looks. In other words, someone's character, his love, his holiness, his honesty, his morality, his flexibility, his ability to listen is far more important than his looks. You're going to change looks over time. Okay? As soon as you're married, within six months, ladies... Within six months, you'll know exactly who you're married to for the rest of your life. And that could be good or that can be bad. Because that person's character will rise to the occasion. Listen, I always say this. When you work in, like I worked in furniture factory for about 10 years. 
You, when you work in the same room with men, especially, 8 to 12 hours a day, it doesn't take long to find out who these people are, good or bad. Imagine living in the same home with that person. Their character is more important than their looks. Okay? She's saying, your, your, your name, your name is a blessing. True, Kathy, known her Chick-fil-A when he was here at East Tales in 2004, and he spoke to the business leaders in our gym. He said, I'm going to give you my life's verse. This is the secret to my success. Proverbs 22.1. Chick-fil-A made $5 billion that year in profits. He says, this is secret. Everybody's getting ready right now. He says, this, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. He says, you're going to die. Your money's not going with you, but your name will live forever in your family. He says, a good name. Have you ever been to a wedding and the bride's parents are not smiling because the groom's character is so bad and vice versa? Because they're attracted to something other than character. Have you ever looked at a couple and you look at the woman, now don't raise your hand, and you look at the guy and you're like, he must have a lot of money. Have you ever thought that? Maybe he's just got good character, Okay. You're thinking, she was attracted to this person's character. And let me say this, guys. Listen, the Bible says this about a woman. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know what the writer of Proverbs is saying? Be attracted to that person's character. She goes on to say this. The king has brought me into his chambers. We are sharing a bed and a life together. And she's blessed and content to be with him. Verse 5 and 6 won't be on the screen, but notice what she says. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Cater, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. Think about this. The highest place of beauty for an oriental woman was the skin. They wore long clothes. They did not want to tan like we do today. She says, I'm sunburned. I've been working. I've taken care of the vineyards, and I hadn't taken care of myself. She had to work. She had to be obedient to authority. She had to be strong. Some of the strongest women in the Bible, Rachel was a shepherdess. Rebecca went outside into the well to get camel for Abraham's servants, to get water for the camels for Abraham's servants. Zephora, Moses' wife, was a shepherdess. The Proverbs 31 woman never mentions her looks, but it talks about her work ethic. This girl, the Shulamite woman, is a noble, serving, persevering woman who is molded by the storms in her life. And Solomon sees her, and he sees her inward beauty. He sees her. Notice in verse 6. She says, they made me a keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. But Solomon looks at her, and he says, you're beautiful. You have a, you have a servant's heart. Notice verse 7. It'll be on the screen. This shows her character even more. Tell me, O oh love, tell me, O oh you whom I love, where you feed your flock. Why would she say that? Because she's wanting to cross paths with him. You remember when you got attracted to somebody, and you said, if they take English first semester at 8 a.m., I'm going to try to take English first semester at 8 a.m. If they eat lunch at McDonald's every day, I'm going to try to meet them there and eat lunch at McDonald's, blah, 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 blah. She's saying this, I'm going to try my best to cross paths with you. Okay? And the indication gives that they're already married. She, she says, I just love spending time with you. I'm attracted to you. I want to spend time with you. Let me ask you a question. Do you enjoy time alone with your spouse? When is the last time you, you scheduled, ladies, let me ask you, she's initiating this. When is the last time you've scheduled a date night with your spouse? Or a weekend getaway with your spouse? See, she's saying, I'm going to cross, I'm going to come to your pastor. I'm going to try to cross paths with you. Solomon goes on to say this in Ecclesiastes 9 when he's older. Enjoy life. Enjoy life, he says. And I'll say that again. Enjoy life. With the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life. It seems like he misses this girl. Seems like in his old age, in the Ecclesiastes, he's missing this girl who had come to his pasture just to spend time with him. Now let me say this too. She's saying this, I'm trying to cross paths with you. And let me tell you something. Because I've pastored in Alexander County since 2005. And been in ministry since about 1995. This only works with your spouse. You don't cross paths with people of the opposite sex. You don't initiate that contact. You better listen. Because we got an epidemic in Alexander County of adultery. An epidemic. 
I hear week after week, couple after couple. You know what happens? What happens is this. I'll start spending time with you in your area, in your workplace. Oh, so this person runs at 445 and they meet here. I guess I'll start running too. Oh, really? Why? What are you looking for? You hunting for something? How come you just show up at a restaurant in Hickory at 12 o'clock when this person that you're attracted to does as well? That's not your spouse. Why? Listen. Why do you do this? This leads to adultery. You got to say this. I will not cross paths or seek to cross. See, she initiated this contact. She wanted to be with him. And when you do this, men and women, what you're saying is there's something at home that I'm not getting. I'm going to try to get from somebody else. And it leads to adultery every time. There's no reason for you to spend time alone with somebody from the, from, of the opposite sex. Why would you initiate that kind of contact? She goes on to say this. For why should I be as one who veils herself? What does that mean? Listen to this, what one scholar says. Back in those days, prostitutes would veil themselves and follow after the flocks and would give themselves to the shepherds at night. The same thing applied during the Civil War. Think about it. They took this old Hebrew custom and they did this. This is where our term hooker comes from. In the Civil War, the prostitutes would follow the northern army of General Hooker and they were called hookers. You know what she's saying? I'm not going to veil myself. I'm not, I'm not dressing like a harlot to impress you. Guys, and I'll tell you this, if a lady doesn't even respect the house of God in her dress, she'll never respect you by the way she dresses when she's at home. Think about it. Paul told Timothy, tell the ladies in that era, it doesn't apply so much to us today, don't draw attention to yourselves and how you dress when you come to church. Guys, how a woman dresses says a lot about her. She goes on to say this. She says, I'm not going to be like a prostitute in our relationship before we get married. She's saying this. I will not bend my morality. I will not give up my virginity to get you. And by the way, he was a king. The most richest man on the planet. She says, I don't care if you're the king or not. I'm not bending my character for you. You know what Paul said? This is the will of God. Listen, this is the will of God. This is the will of God, he says. Your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Think about that. She says, I will not bend my convictions for you, even though he was a king. And I'll say this again. The number one reason families leave East Tales of Baptist Church over the last 10 years has been sexual immorality way above anything else. This is the will of God, Paul said to Timothy. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Looks will not carry your marriage. It can get you married. That's why many couples don't make it seven years. She looked at the spiritual makeup of Solomon and she was attracted to that. Alright? She was attracted to that. And then second, emotionally. Think about this. He starts building her up with his words. One scholar put it this way. In the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite woman seems to have low self-esteem until Solomon speaks of her beauty. And it builds her up as the song goes on. They talk 60% of the verses they're talking. All these verses they're talking. Solomon changes this woman's self-esteem with his words. Listen to how he speaks to her. He speaks kindly and he speaks gently. I read a recent survey that said this. On the average, the average husband and wife talk to each other about 37 minutes per week. Think about that. It's no wonder you don't know each other and you grow apart. The average husband and wife talk to each other about 37 minutes per week. And it's possible for your marriage to go on like that for years. Notice what he says in verse 8 to her. Now he speaks kindly and he speaks gently. He calls her darling in some translations or my beloved or my lover about nine times here in this chapter. He says, if you do not know, O fairest among women, you know what he's saying? You're the most beautiful woman I've ever laid eyes on. And he tells her, I don't care if you've been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Tell, tell your wife that. Why not? He says, he says I don't, if you don't know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherds. She just said, I'm not going there. He says, I trust you. I've seen your character and I trust you. Think about that. You got too much respect for yourself and your Lord to go into somebody's tent. He's saying, lady, I trust you. See, the Proverbs 31 woman says this, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's Solomon. He says, I trust you. I ain't worried about you. 
And he's building her up. He's bragging on her. He says, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. That's one of the most impressive things you could ever say about a woman in those days. See, this was a mayor. The armies of Pharaoh. A white mayor pulled Pharaoh's chariot. The most important, cherished, cared-for horse in Pharaoh's stock. And it's one of the most impressive things he could say about her. You're the most prized, important person in my life, he tells her. He tells her that. Men, do you love your wives? Do you think she's beautiful? How often do you tell her? How often? You should tell her that often. See, Jesus treated women differently in the Bible. That's why women would follow him. That's why they kissed his feet, poured perfume out over him. That's why they were at the cross when all the men left. Jesus understood how to treat women with honor and respect. You treat your wife differently. The way you talk to her, your tone. You speak kindly and gently. Treat her with honor. Never touch a woman, your wife, in anger and never yell at your wife, ever. It shows really weak character if a man yells at his wife. I mean really weak character. I understand if the house is on fire. Hey, I understand, I understand if there's a snake. You know, you yell at the snake. I understand if Roy Williams don't call a timeout, you yell, all right? But you don't yell at your wife. Do you not have more self-control than that? Hey, you know why I don't go to Dusty Ridge Ballpark now and watch people play? Because I see adults yelling at a referee who's making $10 an hour. I'm like, you not got more self-control than that? Good gracious. And I'm thinking, if they're yelling at the ref, I wonder if they yell at their spouse. What kind of home is that? I mean, you don't have more self-control. Treat your spouse. You know what he's saying? You're beautiful. He, he talked to her kindly and gently. And there's a way to argue. We all argue. We all do. But there's a way to do it. And you might need to ask God to help you. And notice what this has done for her. Look at verse 13. This is what it's done for her. Men, listen. He's treated her so well. She says this, A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. You know what she's saying? You're sweet fragrance to me. I just smell you when you're even, not, even though you're not here. You've treated me so kindly that it's like when you're gone, I smell you. What's, the, what's your favorite fragrance, men? I like fresh water bath and body works. I just like it. I mean, I just, it's good stuff. I went and bought some yesterday. Listen, you know what she's saying? Oh, he's like that. That's what he's like, even though he's not there. You know, when I'm gone, I imagine Renee does this. My beloved's not here. He's not here. He's not here. Oh, he's not here, but he's here, you know? Oh, he's not here, but he's here. I think she sprays her pillows down with it and all that kind of good stuff. But you know what she's saying here? She's saying, you're, you're really, the most sweetest fragrance to me is you. It's not just what you wear. And why is that? Because emotionally, he had blessed your life. And then finally, notice this. She is so, and they are so protected physically. And this is very important. Notice verse 15 and 17. She feels, and I know he's the king, but she feels protected. Notice in verse, or verse 16. Behold, you're handsome, my beloved. You're pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar. And our rafters are first. She says, you, you just provide, provided a place for me. It doesn't say that it's in a mansion. I got a roof over my head and you're working. You got a job. You, you're working. Hey, man, if she never works, you work, right? If she never works, you work. Until I went into ministry, I worked two jobs. Two jobs. My whole life after I graduated, I worked two jobs. You know why? People say, why would you do that? Because I'm a man. I'm a husband. I'm a father. That's why I work two jobs. To just have meager things. It wasn't like we was living in a mansion. All right? She felt financially secure. It doesn't mean you got to be rich. She felt nourished. She felt loved. She felt safe so much so. Notice what verse 1 says in chapter 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Notice what she's saying now. She's not saying I'm dark and lovely. She's saying I am the rose of Sharon. I'm a lily in the valleys. And he says this. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Listen. And then she goes on to say this in verse 3. Notice on the screen. Like an apple tree among the tree of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight. She says, I feel nourished. I feel protected. I feel like, you know what she's saying? I feel so secure in him. At that point, it's the marital security. I think it's in verse 4. She says this. He brought me to his banqueting table. 
to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. In the army, they would put up a big banner and it united everybody. And what she's saying is this, I'm his and he's in mine. We're not nobody else's. You know what this wedding ring states? I'm Renee Steele's, nobody else's. Nobody's, ever. Till death do us part. Ever. 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 I'm a one-woman man. Ever. Men, you're to be a one-woman man. Ladies, one husband. And what she's saying is, is I, I, I love being his. I feel so protected and secure, nourished. Nourished. But not only that, and i got to say this in this day and ages that we live, she felt physically, listen, those are rough days back then. Read the life of David. Read 1 Kings and 2 Kings. You think some of these shows that they make now are brutal, and you say, well, that could never happen. Read First and 2 Kings. Read Judges. Some of the most violent days on the planet. People killing people. PNB, all these things happening. Okay? She says, nah, I ain't worried about it. When I'm with him, I'm just like laying in the shade. She felt physically protected. And men, look, you can get mad, whatever, I don't care. You're to protect your family. You know what God told Adam in the garden? Look, and the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it, to tend it. You're going to work and to keep it. Look at the word shamar. Everybody say it with me. Shamar. That means to watch, to guard, protect. He was to wield the plow and the sword if he had to. He was to wield the plow and the sword if he had to. Look at what one commentator says about the word shamar. It means to guard, protect, to take under custody. The word is used of soldiers, shepherds, priests, and at times government officials. One scholar says, I especially love the way God uses the word. Regarding himself, the Lord frequently states that he guards the same word and keeps those who trust in him. In fact, Shamar is the idea behind the powerful biblical image of the Lord as a strong tower. Psalm 121 says this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Bible goes on to say this, Behold, he who keeps, that's the word, Israel, protects Israel. Will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is always on the job guarding this people. Think about this. Adam was not only to keep the garden fruitful, but to keep it safe. Listen to this comment. To be a man is to stand up and to be counted when there's danger or other evil. God does not desire for men to stand by idly and allow harm or permit wickedness to exert itself, especially in his church or in his family, in our families. Our presence is to make our wives and children feel secure and at ease. Shamar. Michael, cut the tape just a second. Back in 2012, I, get, I was sitting in my office. That...